Isaiah chapter 1. This morning we're going to look at the first 20 verses of Isaiah. Now we're not going to be able to stop and exegese every single verse, but it's real important to get the context of this first chapter of Isaiah. And really this first chapter of Isaiah sets the mold with the rest of the book of Isaiah. You get the essence of what Isaiah is preaching. Now Isaiah, the name itself means Yahweh is salvation. And Isaiah was a prophet and he was in the time of Judah and the four kings there in verse 1 of uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. And his objective was to, I mean, the children of Israel were going through a time of difficulty. He was to address that difficulty and how they had gone astray from God. Isaiah was to address these core issues and, and expose their sin to them. And then finally, how God is ready. God is able to forgive. And God is ready now to receive. And how they must repent before the Lord. But Isaiah deals with their rebellion against God. Look at verse, we'll start with verse uh, 18. And this is really the, the, the thrust behind chapter 1. And then we'll kind of branch out from here. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again today. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Father, as we open up this portion of your word, Father, may all things decrease and you increase. May we see you brilliant, brilliantly, brightly. Father, make yourself known to all the hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Isaiah addresses, now that is kind of the, what we just read there is the culmination, the culmination. And what Isaiah addresses first is the sin in their lives. Look at verse 2 of Isaiah. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and his, the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone all way backward. The nature of rebellion. Isaiah is bringing up to the people that you have rebelled against God. And our message today is the same to all ears. Have you rebelled? Are you in rebellion to God? Rebellion is to be contentious, rebellious, um, disobedient. 
towards God's authority. But what does the Lord say here in verse 2 at the end? Ye have, they have rebelled against me, against God. God had nourished them, brought them up, and loved them, but they rebelled against God. Now why? How did they do this? Well, first in verse 3, it says, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Now, you're going to notice how many times the word consider is used here. And this is something that we honestly need to consider. It says here that those who are God has called the nation of Israel, they are supposed to be God's people. The ox knoweth his owner, but my people do not consider it. My people do not consider who their owner is. And the ass is master's crib. But the people are not considering where we find rest. As the masters, as the ass does in the master's crib, Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. The cause of the people rebelling against God was not because God was too strict. It was because they had not considered God, the reality of God in their lives, the goodness, the faithfulness of God, and the severity of God. They have not considered who God is. God said they have rebelled against me. Me. Now what has that caused here in verse 4? All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. Now this goes in order. What happens? You've forsaken the Lord. One, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel. Two, God is angry. Have you ever considered that forsaking the Lord, provoking the Lord, causes God to be angry with you? If you rebel against God, God notices. God pays attention. We may choose to ignore it, but God does not. They have rebelled against me. And so we see that it's always in that order. You've forsaken God, you've provoked Him, and you have driven Him to anger. Matthew Henry said this, What we do know of God and ignore does us more harm than what we should know of God and have not learned. Isn't that something? What we do know of God and we choose to ignore does us more harm than what we do not know about God and have chosen not to learn. My people have not considered. My people know these facts. Israel knows these facts. Now, uh, you know, some commentators, a lot of people say, well, this is talking about God's children and backsliding. I don't think so. I think this is talking about those, and that's what he says, is these are children with laden with iniquity. I believe that these are the lost. There were lost children in Israel. Not like in Romans chapter 9, this is going to go great with Sunday school this morning. It's kind of a part two to Sunday school. Is 
When we consider Israel as a nation, God chose them as a nation and He called them His people, but not all of Israel were children of God. Now, they were children of the nation. God had, had called them out to be separate from all the other nations of the earth. And many times we'll see that God references Israel as His nation, as His people. But not all His people of Israel were saved. And so we see the failure of this, don't we? And that's what the whole thrust, that's why we see the ultimate failure of man. Man is not saved by belonging to a nation. Man is saved through faith, by submitting themselves to God's righteousness, not what you are. Not the qualities in you, but the qualities in God, whom God hath called. And He is faithful. So, with that apart, we see that even them, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. Now look at this. Not only are they, we see the nature of rebellion, but they're even non-responsive. The rebellious are non-responsive to punishment. Look at verse 5 and 6. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even into the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So even those who are being punished, it is driving them further into rebellion. Isn't that something? That's the definition of insolence. When you are warned over and over and over not to do something and you continue to do it and you have bore the consequence, the punishment of doing something over and over and yet it doesn't make you stop. The warnings do not make you stop. The punishments do not make you stop. It drives you further into rebellion. And the Lord said that's because of depravity. From the very sole of our feet to the top of our head... All seek their own. We, we, you know, we do not refuse to come to God because uh, God is, we think God is too strict. Or we think that there's something God's requiring me that I'll never live up to. No, you choose not to come to the Lord and rebel against God because you love what you're doing. You love more what you're doing than fear of God. Have you considered... So this whole thing, this whole chapter 1 is Isaiah speaking in rationale. Consider. Just be honest. Let's consider this. Let's have a conversation. Let's have an honest conversation about the way God sees you and the way you should be seeing yourself. And the provisions which God has made in His mercy and His grace and His salvation. So there's no consideration... Of, I mean, the, the more that they are punished, the more that they are driven deeper into their sin. Now look, repentance is more than sorrow. Repentance is sorrow with an attitude to change. To change your behavior. Uh, Judas was sorrowful. Judas was sorry. And he out and went out and wept and hung himself because he was laden with guilt. But did he have an attitude to change? Does that sin that, that he knew that he was guilty of before God? Um, 
Many times people bear consequence of sin in their lives and they're sorrowful towards God that they did it, but do they have an attitude to not do it again? To change? That's repentance towards God. There's no consideration from the result of rebellion. In verse 7-9, through your country is desolate. Here's the result. Your cities are burned with fire, your land. Strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage and a vineyard, as a lodge and a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. People do not consider the result of the rebellion towards God. Sin will wreck your life. Sin causes wreckage. There's inward. Inwardly it causes wreckage. Sin is miserable. Sin is often its own punishment. There's misery within you. Romans 8 verses 1 through 18 and 32 teach us about the sin that dwells within. It separates us from God. It's your thoughts separate you from the Lord. Your actions separate you. Apart from grace, Romans 1 teaches us that all would suppress the knowledge of God into unrighteousness. There's blindness of mind and there's a reprobate sense. Now don't you see this? That people who do not consider the severity of God and their sin against God They have a sense of being a reprobate. What that means is, well, if God has given up on me, I might as well not even try to do good and just let me play out all the evil schemes of my conscience that there is. Don't you see that? Don't you see how people have just assumed God has given up on them and gave them over and God has given them over the reprobate minds? People live out their life in a sense of that. That's scary. That's scary. They have strong delusions. They have a hardness of heart, horror of conscience, and vile affections. They even go so far as to even count the cross of Christ foolishness. Now that's inward sin. Outwardly, sin is misery all around us. Sin causes misery in your life. Even the ground which you walk on, God had cursed creation because of man's disobedience to God. Because of Him. Even the ground you walk on moans and it groans for the redemption and the liberty which Christ will bring at His coming, the liberty from the curse of sin at Christ's coming. There's many evils that happen in our bodies in the form of disease, illness, old age, other infirmities. Sin is never done in a vacuum. Sin causes misery around you. There's an impact radius around you in your lives, your relationships, your children, your neighbors. Your relationships can become strained. Human beings become enemies to one another because of the enmity they have towards God because of the hate that they have towards God. Now consider sin for just a moment and how sin angers God. At present, sexual assault is the most prevalent crime in the United States, yet also the most underreported. In 2019, 652,000 women were victims of rape. That's one out of six. Out of that's out of 167 million. That's per year. Only 19% are reported. 
Now this is staggering. Men and women who have disabilities are faced with twice the risk. Isn't that sad? The weak, the vulnerable, are, and the children, and those who are disabled are at twice the risk. Every day, 32 people are killed in drunk driving crashes. There were 3.78 million attempts to drive drunk. Now keep considering the wreckage of sin. In 2021, there were 48,000 deaths by suicide. In 2019, 17,000 murders in the United States, and in the world was 400,000. 50% of marriages end in divorce, with 60% of the second marriage ending in divorce. Every year, more than 1 million children are affected by divorce of their parents. Um, you know, something even more upsetting is when you look at the family court, how bent the family court is in most, almost every case, the, um, the custody goes to the woman, but with the family court, there's no restriction on the punitive uh, visitation or anything the woman can deem. When these women who were interviewed... Most of the women will inflict laws or inflict kind of restrictions upon their husbands to not see the children out of punishment to the man. And most of the women interviewed said that, oh, the children don't need a father. But if you look at that, that's, that's alarming because of all the statistics that say that fatherless children are more likely to become incarcerated they're more likely to have teen pregnancy. They're more likely to get into drug addiction. And they're so we see that the statistics are growing and growing. And all of this from divorce. Two, now listen to these. Two out of three Americans confess to being a sinner. That's, that sounds kind of high, doesn't it? But it depends. We're going to read more. Their definition of being a sinner is not right. The rest of people think that they are not a sinner or that sin doesn't exist. The trend in statistics show that those who do, who do acknowledge sin, most of the people who do acknowledge sin, those two out of three, do not see sinning against God. They do not consider themselves sinning against God, but sinning against other humans. They believe they're sinners against other humans. This means that people are defining what sin is, not God. Right? If most of people say, you know, I'm a sinner, but I'm really a sinner more towards other humankind. Well, if you are basing what the definition of sin is based on yourself, you're not defining it what God thinks, what God has called sin. Therefore, because of that, we see trends of what God calls sin, people do not. Examples of this is legalized gambling. People don't consider that a sin because they're not sinning against them. They're not hurting them. Pornography. People don't call pornography a sin. Homosexuality. Most people do not see these things as sin because they're not considering what God calls sin. They don't see themselves as sinners before an angry God. Who will deal out wrath? 
They believe they're sinners just a humankind, so I can define what sin is. And, you know, as I was, I was talking to Jason, you should all talk with your children that pornography is evil and it is a gateway sin to much, much worse because it's an addiction. Whenever you have an addiction, whatever you first, whatever happens first to get that addiction will never be enough. You'll always want more and more and you will act out that desire. What is it, Ted Bundy said, or I think it was Ted Bundy said that he started out his whole life and it was because of pornography. It's evil and don't go near it. If you think marijuana is a gateway drug to harsher drugs, well, pornography is a gateway sin to being incarcerated. All these rape cases we see. Is it, is it a wonder that rape goes up as pornography is more available? Consider the sin. Consider the wreckage of sin. Not just in your life, but around you. The Word of God says, though consider that, but consider also the faithfulness of God. Consider your own rebellion towards God. And in verse 10 through 15, unfortunately, those who do have a conscience towards those things, they try to ease their conscience with empty religion. The Lord also notices empty religion. In verse 9, he says, Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. We need to self-identify. That's what Isaiah is saying. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. And in Sunday school, we talked about that. And it's just a beautiful treasure of God's Word, how we see that all of us are sinners. All of us. God would be just and not saving one person, but sending all the hell for all the punishment and all the penalty of sin. Had not the Lord chosen some, in verse 9, that would be all our fate. We would walk down the same path, every one of us, as those who did in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we saw the wrath. You know, it's, it's something, these verses should, should give us a wake-up call when we think we're somebody special, when we think we're somebody religiously special. Well, we're not. If not by God's grace, there go I. I'm in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm the one banging on Lot's door to bring those angels out. That's me. Had it not been for the grace of God who blessed me and saved me and showed me His glory and changed my life. Oh, the Lord changes your life. Not just your weekend. Your life. He, put my, he brought me out of the miry pit and He has established my feet on solid ground. Verse 10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Now those who should consider how much you have sinned against God, you might as well be a ruler of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why on earth are you worshiping or coming to worship with a cold heart towards God? Do you come in 
worship with a cold heart and leave with a cold heart towards God? Why? Do you think that you're checking a box? If your heart is not right towards God, God rejects your worship. He rejects your prayers. He rejects your praise. He rejects all of it. So that's what he asked here in verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Was there something other than your heart that brought you to the worship service? Why did you come? That's what he says. Bring no more. Here's the command. Bring no more of these empty things. Bring no more vain oblations, which are gifts, sacrifices. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons are in Sabbaths. The calling of assemblies I cannot away with. It is iniquity. Even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make your many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God is not fooled or pleased with empty religious motions. He's not fooled by it. Does your worship of God come with a full heart? Do you know why you're worshiping here? Do you know why you're here? Do you know the, the, the thankfulness and the gratefulness? You know, during the, the worship service, which we had this morning, two beautiful songs of praise and deliverance and how we should lift our hearts up in honest and sincere praise of God who hath delivered me from sin and the effect of sin. Oh, that's the heart that we should have towards God. Anything else is vain. It's empty. It's a heart. What did Jesus say? In Matthew 5, or 15, 7, He says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto Me with their mouth, and honoreth Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. But in vain they do worship me. In vain they do worship me. That's what he says in Isaiah 1. No more with these vain oblations in verse 13. He says there are abominations to him. How many times do we see religion acted out on TV? The coronation of the king. I mean, all of this religious stuff. The the mass and all of these and they're just actors and God says that's an abomination you worship me in vain you try to ease your conscience with empty religion God is not fooled or pleased with a cold heart towards him now Consider the faithfulness of God. Consider your own rebellion against Him. Consider how sin has wrecked your life and has left you with no help from God. He refuses your worship and He refuses your prayers.
because your hearts are not right with him. You have a cold heart, an indifferent heart. You have not considered. And that's what Isaiah says. You've not considered. Even the ox knows who, who his master is. Even the ox knows who his owner is. My God and my maker, he is my God. My God, your God. And he is there. He's real. And he is not fooled. He does not ignore your sin. And even the ass knows where he finds his rest from work. He finds it at his master's crib. Oh, consider if you've been practicing religion but with no heart towards God. Oh, we should repent. We should repent and ask the Lord to forgive us. When we come to worship Him, we worship Him with our whole heart for He is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. He is the Emmanuel. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He created time. And here we are in time so that we may see the glory of God and praise Him that He has saved us from sin, from our own stupidity, our own love of evil, our own love of iniquity. Oh, but look, look. Verse 16, He says, Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings. This is how you must approach God today. Put away the evils from your doing before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. I read that fast because that is an effect of verse 18. You are not going to be verse 16. You are not going to do verse 17 unless you do verse 18. What do we do in verse 18? Now let us consider. Let us reason together. Let's be honest. This is, I'm being straight with you. Let us reason together. Be honest with yourself. Saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Crimson is an obvious bright shade of red. Crimson, when you see crimson, it is very present and it is very visible. Your sins before God are like, are like scarlet. They are very present and they are very visible to God. Now here's the question. Are they present and are they visible to you? David said, against thee and only thee, have I sinned? Are your sins a scarlet to you? Are they bright? They are to God. You must know that. Here, we're considering this. We're reasoning together. And with all honesty of heart, I am telling you that though you may ignore your sin against God, God does not. They're as bright and brilliant as the red and scarlet. Okay? Okay? And honestly, I love you, and I'm telling you that. But look, white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. This means that your sins will not be present and visible anymore. God will forgive you and cover your sins. When you think about the imagery he uses here, it's just brilliant. Think about snow, the blanket of snow. 
It's this brilliant, pristine white. You know, I, I loved walking out in the morning and you see undisturbed blankets of snow over everything. And you know what's beautiful about snow? Is the uglier, uglier your yard is, the more you appreciate that blanket of snow, don't you? Because it covers. It's a brilliant white. It's beautiful. It's majestic. And it has covered all of your ugliness. Oh, though your sins are stained and they're not going away before God's eyes. Oh, though they be like that, let's reason together. They shall be as white as snow. They'll be pure. They'll, there'll be no sin and it'll be a covering. And then he goes on and he continues um, in verse, again in verse 18. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Red like crimson is the color of blood. And God cannot ignore blood. He does not ignore the, the shedding of innocent blood. God does not ignore the stain of blood, nor does God ignore the, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. God sees blood. And he says, look at verse 15. He goes, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Though your sins... Have you ever heard that? You've been caught red-handed? You've been caught with blood on your hands. When you stand before God, even now, you're condemned in sin. If you do not have Christ as your Savior, you're condemned even now. Your, your hands are filled with blood. You've been caught. Your sin is not hid before God. Now in verse 19, it says, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. Who's the one who's willing and obedient? The willingness. Where does, where does the will come from? The heart. If ye be willing. Have you taken this to heart? Have you taken your sin before God to heart? Have you taken this consideration? Let us reason together in verse 18. Once you do come to the realization that you have sinned before God, that God is angry, you have forsaken Him, you've provoked Him to anger, but yet He's long-suffering, He is faithful, and He today will give you mercy and give you rest. If you come to Him, you acknowledge your sin before Him. And though your sins are putrefying before Him, oh, they shall be white as snow. There's a covering What's this covering that God uses over your sins? It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is the covering that God uses over your sin. Only the blood can cover your sins before Him. Christ is the blood. He, His blood is the cleansing agent. My crimson and scarlet red sins before God can only be cleaned by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Where now I, ha I have been washed. Verse 16, wash you. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He says, wash you, make you clean. Only the blood can wash you and make you clean. And though, though your sins 
are present before Him. Jesus' blood is the white as snow covering and the white as wool coat. The wool is a coat that is covering the lamb. He is the white as snow covering for your sins. Jesus is the white as wool covering for you. Jesus said this, Search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which speak of Me. Salvations of the Lord, salvations through Jesus Christ. Salvation is not keeping the Ten Commandments because we all fall short of the glory of God. You cannot enter into glory keeping some of the Ten Commandments. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, the standard of God. And we need to be honest with ourselves. The only way is verse 18. Come, let us reason together. Be honest with your heart. Be honest before God. You've forsaken Him. You have your own definition of sin against Him. You're not using God's definition of sin. You've forsaken Him. You are provoking Him in your life and you're making Him angry. And God will pour out His wrath. Oh, but though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Oh, we realize our sins before Him. I love this song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stains. The red like crimson, the scarlet sins that are present and visible before God, are they present to you? Do you know you've sinned against God? And only Him have you sinned. Are you done defining what sin is? Because if it's sin against God, God is the one that makes that definition, not us. If it's transgression against God, how can I know what transgresses God unless God tells me? He has. Have you sinned against Him? Oh, that we see that if you are left undone, what happened? The wrath of God will abide upon you. And you will receive justice of God. Not love, not mercy, not kindness, but your just due for the life you've lived. You've chosen to live, forsaking God. Oh, but Isaiah, isn't it wonderful? Isaiah said, but despite all these things, you are in horrible danger, unescapable danger from the wrath of God. But look what God has done. Oh, Though your sins, though your sins are going to send you to eternal hell, look what God has done. He has provided Himself a lamb, your covering. Will you repent of your sins towards God and in faith towards Jesus Christ receive Him as your Savior, your substitute? He died in your place. He paid all of my sins. All of them. All to Him I owe. And then He died. And He was dead for three days. And then on the third day, He rose again, and then He ascended unto the Father. And today, He is there, and He's my advocate. He's my love. He's my beloved. He's the Lord's beloved, and I'm the beloved in Him. 
And He has promised to return again. He is going to fold up space, time, and matter. And all that we will have is eternity with Him. Oh, but consider today. Reason today with all your heart. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. I pray the Lord has blessed you and has spoken to your heart and has stirred up your heart in the only way that He can. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for this time, this opportunity to stand here and declare Your Word, Your eternal Word. Oh, Father, we pray that Your will be done and Your purpose and Your kindness, Father, to show grace upon a stony heart, to quicken them, bring them to life, and call them to Yourself. And we'll give You all the praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.